Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Will you fasten your seatbelts to take off, please? Thank you. Kia ora, hello, and welcome to Sound Salad, where we toss around all things spoken and all things heard. Brought to you by Audiobooks New Zealand, New Zealand's leading producer of audio content. We hope that you will have a pleasant journey, and if we can add to your comfort in any way, please do not hesitate to press the call bell. Kia ora everybody, and next up for Sound Salad Season 2, we have Lynn Lorcan, who recently completed narrating her memoir, The Redhead Gets the Gig, with Audiobooks NZ. It's a musical jaunt through some of the high and low lights that make up the colourful life of a working musician, complete with piano accompaniment and the charisma of a natural performer. So Lynn has certainly lived a life or three, I could say. <laughs> Her stories take us all over the world. So you can check it out at the Audiobooks NZ website. But without further ado, I'll get us on to introducing Lynn. So Lynn is one of our most notoriously successful musical treasures. She's a singer, songwriter, actor, a linguist. She's got residencies all over the place, Copenhagen, Naples, etc., etc. Um, she's also been accused of being too good at too many things, but most notably fans appreciate her writing. So Lynn, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you with us. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here on this Anzac Day. On this Anzac Day, indeed. <laughs> right, well, so let's start at the very beginning. So you were six when you first started to learn the piano. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Mum, um, mum and Dad went, uh, drove from Tokoro from my farm near Tokoro to, to, to Hamilton uh, to go to a piano shop, um, Hamilton Piano Company, and they bought a second-hand piano for me um, when they were, because they realised that I'd inherited the musical talent that runs in the family. You know, awesome. We have some professional musicians in the family cool. going, going back. And so, yeah, so they thought, because I started singing in tune perfectly at the age of three kind of thing. Wow. So, oh, she's smiling. She, okay, she's got the music. No. So they got, they went and got a good piano. Then mum taught me to play. She was a good piano player. Um, nice. Sort of pop star, pop style of the day. Mm. And, um, and uh, yeah, she taught me at first. And then I went to a prop, you know, a, a, I had paid lessons. Yeah, from a farmer's wife, <laughs> from farmer's wife who had, who had musical qualifications. Wow, yeah, so, so it went, so it went. Gosh, yeah. wow, but there were no performing arts schools in those days, and so I, you know, I, I actually got ended up, you know, being like going into possibly an academic career because I was really good at languages, and if there had been, if there had been some performing arts courses, I would surely yeah. have done them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so because I was good at all that, you know how you are when you, you're that sort of person, like you can sing, you can dance, you can, yeah. you know, you can act, you can do comedy and you can do all those things that come like that, spec, that spectrum yeah. of being a performer, a musical performer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, yeah. All, that. I had all that, but I the only way that I could become a singer, which I really wanted deep down to be, was to go overseas and do, yeah. to do overseas and even then it was really hard to do. <laughs> I dropped out of, on my studies at the Sorbonne in Paris and I to become a singer, and it was really hard to do. You know, and I, used to, and I would think, oh, God, maybe I should go back to being, a, you know, to becoming a lecturer in French, you know, because it's too hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I know. So who kind of got you? So you sort of learned pop music and things like that. So who? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. No, I learned classical. That was the thing in those days. Oh, I see. You know, we're talking about the 50s. 
um, you learn, you learn, um, you know, classical piano or classical violin. Mm, and yeah. and nobody did, you didn't do jazz. The reason I started doing jazz is because I I found this vinyl album. Who by then um, my family we had to move from the farm, so my father's very old, and so I moved up there. And and in the street, up the street, I found this vinyl album that's that had this woman on the front playing the piano. You see, and she looked really <laughs> interesting. It was Nina Simone. It was called awesome. Nina Simone at Town Hall. So we had a record wow. player, so I played that, and I thought, oh, this is really good, because I'm going to try and play like her. So I started sort of trying to teach myself to play that kind of more jazzy style mm. and uh, just without any lessons. But I was still doing classical music, you know, formerly, you know, paid lessons. Yeah, and right. doing all that, doing like Chopin's waltzes and all that. But, you know, nice nice pieces. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's, and then gradually I got, when I did start, um, singing overseas professionally in Copenhagen. At first, I was singing like soul R and B, you know, um, Wilson Pickett, all those kind of things, because mm-hmm. I knew I knew all that repertoire because I was, you know, a big fan of this. Yeah, of, all those of of the Four Tops and the Temptation, all those. Oh yeah, guys. So, yeah. So I knew from doing from you know from partying in London. I knew all those tunes anyway. So that I started off first of all doing that because that was the only job I could get. And then in the same street, in this like a street of low dives and covering with prostitutes and sailors as the audience, yeah. I I found this, this just down the street another another low dive where there was a jazz trio. And so I said to these Danish guys, oh, can I sing with you? So then I started singing a bit of jazz <laughs> in, in my, you know, in my breaks from doing the other, you know, the R&B. And, yeah. then, and then one of the one of the, um, the regulars in that bar, and I never found out who it was. He said, I'll pay for that girl to sing every night, but she has to sing at least eight songs and I'll give her, what was it now, 20 he was going to give me 20 kroner if I did eight songs a night. So this worked out about a two and two and sixpence a song, which is about I don't know what two and sixpence is. It's a it's a quarter of it's a quarter of ten shillings. So a quarter of ten Gosh, shillings. I, I have no idea. Today's money, I don't know about. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I wouldn't know. Like it was something like a few dollars. That's a few dollars. Good, and um, so, but, like, but you know that's how it sort of started. So it was a, a humble, a humble beginning, but an interesting and colourful place to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So what? So what actually got you? Um, I mean, obviously there was there was very little exposure to artists, to anything artistic, to anything, and within the realm of what you were interested in here. So what actually was it? Was it the academia that actually got you off New Zealand shores? Yeah, was it was that? the academia that got it me was. off. I, okay. The French government gave me. They used to give two scholarships a year to to the, you know, sort of, if I can say, top students of French yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in New Zealand at university. Mm-hmm. So I got one of those. And um, so then, therefore, I, it was all paid for me to go overseas. In fact, I, I you know, I, I had special treatment because yeah, you know, so, so few New Zealanders were, you know, winning or doing that, 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 that I got special treatment on the, the aeroplane. They even <laughs> took me to a, you know, the KLM, they took me to a, you know, to a high class, a five star hotel in Sydney, and I was personally in school, escorted there, and I and I hadn't done anything except win the scholarship. And they go, "Oh, nice. this is a school. She's won a scholarship. And she's going to study in France, and it's her first time overseas." So it treated me really well. It was amazing, really. Good and on so them. So they when should. When I got there, then I started, of course, partying like mad, 
which you know, because I was, was you know, in the early 20s, and that was in Besançon in, in France. Right, I see. Yeah. It was in France, uh, the French university. And from there, <laughs> I, I, you know, I ended up in London, and of course, as one did, everyone went to London to do their OE. And from then, I went back to, to Paris to do a doctorate. And then I, when I dropped out from doing that, I went back to London, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, I bet. That was, that was the swinging days of London. So there's a, there's a cool sort of um, story in your book about your first gig in London and a nickname that you got as well. <laughs> Do you want to tell us that, that wee story? <laughs> me, me being the only New Zealander for miles around you. Yes, yes. That was your first gig in London, is that right? No, I never really got a. I never got paid to sit, to to sing in London. What happened is right. I kept going for these auditions and things, and they would say, "Oh, you're really good. You've got it. You've got it all, but you you just need more experience. So come back when you've got more experience." And I was like, "But how do I get experience if no yeah. one will give will give me a gig?" Classic. And so then I when I had a really good audition with this band in a pub in Islington, Crown Manka, and the because the um and the the uh, band band loved me. And so they said, but we, we can't hire you because it's the landlady has to pay your wages. So mm. you have to come in, you come back and sing one night for the punters and she'll be here and, you know, and if she likes you too, you, you know, you'll be in. So that was because my, my flatmates came. Now I was, I, my flatmates were a pretty wild bunch. And so they turned up and so we all, like the place was, was like this big party going on and I was charlestoning on the bandstand and Anyway, everyone was so happy, and the landlady said that she re- she liked my singing, but she would never hire anyone with friends who look like that. <laughs> wow, jeepers! So, what was the prevailing look, though? What was it? Was it like probably half in costume and half in, yeah. you know, all crazy <laughs> sort of, you know, create mini, you know, micro skirts and you know, whatever. Yeah, 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 and then, yeah. You know, and, no, all, all sort of, all wild, a pretty wild bunch. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. So I, so, I so I didn't get the gig. They used to call me Kiwi. They call. I was the only New, Zealand, New Zealander for miles around. They used to call me Kiwi. That was my nickname. Can you imagine me called Kiwi in <laughs> in London? It's so obvious, isn't it? But in those days, you know, no one had thought of it, and so that was yeah. my name. You made something of it. You've got some pretty like notoriously awesome show names and song names and things like that throughout your. <laughs> Throughout the whole canon of yours, um, you were also the first woman to um, make an electric keyboard. Is that right? Yeah, to play electric keyboard. To play an electric um, keyboard. Sorry, yes, yes, yes. To in yeah, I think I think that's I probably that's probably true. I, I mean, I I would have to do a really good, you know, someone would have to do a really good study and find out totally. But let's be honest, in the other cities, but yeah. but Auckland has always been you know, like really the you know the music big music place. Yeah, and there was all the probably there were a lot of clubs in Auckland. There mm. would have been there were some great ones in Wellington too, but there were a lot in Auckland. Yeah, and so there was a lot of work, and I I had a, a I had a Fender Rhodes electric piano, which was the one that everyone was playing in those days, which is like the piano to have. It cost a lot of money too. Yeah, but, you know, I was playing in, with um really good, fantastic bands. I played with Tom Renata and who's a, quite a famous um, guitarist mm-hmm. at the time, considered you know like you know world class and yeah. he was a big star. And uh, he's only twenty three at the time. And mm-hmm. and various Tuita Moti and Bob Jackson, all, all kinds of people that were 
were very well known at the time. Mm. We were playing funk. We were, we were a funk band. I yeah, always yeah. played funk music. I was playing, you know, Tower of Power and Rufus, you know, Chaka Khan and those sort of covers. Cool. And we it was hard. It was, you know, I loved it, but it was hard work. Yeah, and got a bit. Because I'd come off the bandstand shaking my heart, my hands felt as if they were going to fall off my arms. And, and I'd have to be singing as well. I'm keeping up with these red gun, you know, Maori players, and they're fantastic players. Mm-hmm. And this fantastic drummer, Scottish drummer. And, you know, the, 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 the rumor apparently was that I was on hard drugs because I looked so out of it. And, yeah. and the other rumor was that I was lesbian. <laughs> oh, one or the other, right? That makes sense. <laughs> like a woman that playing electric piano in those days would have to be either, a, uh, you know, on heroin or, yeah. or a lesbian. No, that's amazing. Well, so clearly, so, okay, well, obviously people were playing that specific keyboard, but other women weren't, clearly. It wasn't oh. like you were seeing that and, you know, seeing that on your on your every Saturday no, evening. No, I, I didn't see that around town at all. I, well, there were no women playing in the band. So there was a there was a very good conga player, Susie. I'm trying to find her name out from my memoir because, you know, I'm going to have my printed version now. Mm. Soon. I thought if I could get her surname, but uh, so far I haven't you know, found anybody who can remember her surname. Oh wow! But she was she was a good conga player, singer and conga player. But you know there were and there were singers, of course, but playing instruments, no. Wow! There weren't really. There was there weren't there was one there was woman one woman who was very good, but she she was a jazz player. But she went uh, to Sydney and mostly she was playing there. I can't right. remember her name, but she was quite well known. But she was yeah. like one of the few, just a handful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People, probably in the whole in the whole country, and I was probably the first one to do electric when I went to Sydney, where she played regular, you know, you know, acoustic piano. Yes. So were you? Were you always? I mean, you obviously you've you've written a memoir, you've written countless albums and all sorts of other stuff as well. Like, so were you always a songwriter, or was there a sort of? No, I wasn't always a songwriter. That's that's the story that I tell in my memoir. Yeah. Because, you know, when I, uh, when I went, first went to New York and I was 30, I guess I was 34 by then, I, I um, was playing in piano bars and doing, you know, the cocktail music and so And the guy that I was staying with, Mike Nock, who's, who's a very famous jazz musician, his name is Mike Nock, N-O-C-K, um, uh, you know, sort of internationally famous, really, uh, mm. and who lives in Sydney. He's been lived in Sydney for a number of years, teaches the to conservatory there. Cool. He <laughs> said to me, "You should, you should write your own songs because you're 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 living in New York now. Yeah, it's New York, man. You have to write your own songs." Mm. And I said, "No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy doing this. You know, doing the Gershwins and the Cole Porters and all the, you know, the George and the Burt Bacharach and this Carol King and all the things I was doing. I'm happy with that." And I said, "In any case, I'm not a songwriter." That's what I said to him. And then. Um, well, then this whole thing happened to me. Was it like a romance that that uh, went wrong, and I was that was broken hearted, and this this guy—it's a good story in the book. But the tongue of one of the tongue of Fenua of America. He he um he who, the only one I knew that I ever met, but I could become friends with him. And and I I went to visit him. And it was at four in the morning. I was telling him about this this broken, this terrible, how broken hearted I was. And you know, he said, "Well, I'm going to play you something. I think will make you. It'll be good for you to listen to." So he put on 
he put on it, this woman called Joan Arbin Trading, who was quite well known singer songwriter at the time. <laughs> and when I listened, I said, Oh, I think I could write songs as good as that. Yeah. And then I, I went back to, I was staying at this guy's loft. He was out of town, jazz, the, the famous jazz pianist. He had a fabulous loft with a big, big grand piano, Steinway Grand. So he was out of town and I was loft sitting. I sat at the piano, you know, and away I went. And then I wrote, you know, 12 songs in a fortnight. And then from then I, I became a prolific songwriter, prolific, absolutely yeah. prolific. Overnight at the age of 35, which is unheard of, really. Yeah. Very unusual. But of course, I'd had, I'd had the training, I'd had the training musically because, you know, all my years of um, the classical and the, you know, and playing a lot of pianos and, you know, and famous songwriters that play all their tunes. Mm. Always like words. I've always like fooling around with words. Yeah, totally. Like puns and things like that. So yeah, I you know I enjoyed the the, the, the lyric parts part of it as well. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I'm good at writing songs about something that's happened to me or a person that I know, and I got, yeah. I can describe them really very clearly and distinctly, and like you know I leap into it and just say this is what you know, and and the, and so the listener is kind of you know they immediately get the picture. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's my um, forte, really. Oh, yeah, I love so it. I love it. There's another. Yeah. Um, there, there. I mean, there's a myriad of beautiful stories in 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 um in the actual novel itself. But one of the other ones that I love is um your absolute ardent like commitment to vintage clothing and to laying it by and to paying it off and to getting the darn, like just getting the darn gown, you know, oh, yeah. a story about a beautiful gold lace frock in it. And I, as soon as I heard it, I was just like, I have the exact same one. And because we're both redheads, I was like, oh, we have the exact same tactic. Like, it's just honestly <laughs> the way that you speak about it. It's just, you know, like, I mean, we don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know whether people do anymore, but you know, the whole lay by paying off thing seems to have been a thing. Yeah. That, like my yeah, mum used to do that all the time. Yeah. Could, yeah, I couldn't afford it. It was yeah. like a ridiculous price in those days. The whole, the two outfits that I'd laid by were four, altogether $450. This is like sort of like $4,000 nowadays. It was yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. I love and that. And I was though. working muso, you know, I didn't have the money really. So you're like, $2 a week, $2 a week. Oh, they were, they were gorgeous. That's just the thing about my memoir is it's, it's a it's a memoir that features clothes. So Hugely. Clothes, they're going to enjoy, enjoy my outfits. I've the got, clothing you know, is like I a huge thing. I describe my hot pants outfits and I describe my boots and I describe <laughs> my green false eyelashes and all kinds of things. And the long green coat <laughs> as well. Oh, yes. I love it. I love it. There was a, a little, a, a, well, there was not a little, there was plenty of activity in Italy um, and not a heck of a lot of singing going on while you were over there from, from the sounds. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, about some of your Italy stories? Do you have any highlights in particular? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, are you, are, you, are you getting at something there, Rami? <laughs> no, not at all. She's, not at all. she's fishing away there. Fishing I'm fishing. Me. <laughs> well, I was working. I was working in a piano bar in Naples and in Rome. I booked in piano bars, but then I had this um, unfortunate incident where, uh, out of my stupid naivety, I I um, got some hashish for for my boyfriend, who was a young Neapolitan guy who was cr I was crazy about, and, and he said, "Oh, can you? I'd love to try it. I know that you know people in Rome that can." And I said, "Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, sure. I'll get a little piece for you." You know, because I'd do anything for him. So. 
and anyway, I didn't even think about the fact that it was like illegal. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, God. So I put it back. And meanwhile, he'd made friends with a, an undercover cook that they put in there because they'd been they were a bit suspicious of of me because. You know, I was just like this crazy redhead around town in Naples, and I wearing the yeah. this good, you know, the the hot pants outfits from London and stuff. Yeah, the red yeah. hair, like my hair was in like kind of in an afro, and I was like a pretty, you know, pretty noticeable. And so the, <laughs> so they they just formed a drug sort of drug squad. So they're looking looking for people who could we, you know, so oh, oh, that redhead, you know, that redhead that sings at the El Sombrero, she's mm. probably into drugs. So they put a an undercover guy in there, and he made friends with my boyfriend who played piano in the same piano bar. Ugh. And so that's how he got arrested. Yeah. He got arrested, yeah. And, um, oh, mate. and there you are guilty until proven innocent. It's opposite of here. Yeah. Opposite of here. Yeah. So uh, when I did it, I waited six and a half months for my trial. When I had my trial, I was acquitted. I was acquitted of the charge. That's the insane. Trial, eh? But I had to wait that long to, for it to come up. And during that time, you were you were held you were withheld with nuns, weren't you? Yes, that was the interesting thing about it. That That's the, fascinating. Um, that the it was the women's prison in Naples was run by nuns, so it was this, a um, the order of compassion, le suore della misericordia, the sisters of compassion. Mm. And so, I, which they and you know, since then I've heard from from people that were in the jail. They said, you know, it's not it's. It's much worse now to be in the women's prison because that's no longer the mm. case. Now they have like secular wardens and they are just cruel and hard, you know, hard. They can be really quite hard. But the nuns were at least yeah. they were a bit they were a bit weird. They were all really weird looking. One was hunchbacked and another one was a little sort of like a slightly a hair lip and all, all kinds of like I don't know how they all ended up in that same order. But they would yeah. try to they were trying to, you know, to be to be true to their calling, and so they would try to be compassionate and you know, and and nice to us, and so mm. we we're kind of lucky in a way. You yeah, know, you know what I'm saying it was kind of luck that that was yeah. the case. I would say. Mm. Gosh, yeah, so amazing even, stories. Even amazing though, stories. Even though they were, they were very bizarre looking, I describe all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, other than that, you were like. There are there are so many interesting sort of characters and people that just sort of litter your entire your entire memoir, and you you rubbed shoulders with some pretty swanky people over the time as well. Some of some of whom you've already named. Do, like how how do you think that that impacted your career, or do you think that you can't or or you at all did it at all change you at like who you were, or or do you think that people sort of opened you up to opportunities that you might not otherwise have had or anything like that? Does anyone stick out? In that regard, um, I can't, I can't say that anyone sticks out as having, as having led, led me on, you know, or, or inspired me, or done, or shown mm. me the way. I think yeah. that I, I, you know, I had to forge my own very meandering path, and that was just, you know, my karma, whatever that I had to do that. Um, mm. I, you know, had I had a mentor, people, people. I think people sometimes are very lucky that someone comes along in their life and goes, I think you should do, why don't you consider doing that? Because in my yeah. case, I would have been really good at music theatre. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, that's I was going to say, yeah. And that's what I should have been trying to do in London instead of trying to get a, you know, a gig with a jazz 
band, you know. But mm. I hadn't, I didn't even think of it, and nobody, there was no, nobody came alive. I didn't have a fairy godmother. <laughs> well, but yeah. yeah. It's yeah, tricky to be a mother was, to an artist when you're not an artist, right? Yes, that's right. I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, no, I can't say there was any. I've, I've certainly met lots of colourful people who and people and people helped me. Just yeah, would, and people would always help me in New York. Mm. Always said, "Oh, why don't you try the such and such a piano bar? That was, could be good for you." And they give me their business card and you just give me a call and I help. So yeah, people did. did people were very kind. But I can't, yeah. I can't say that there was one particular, you know, mentally yeah. person that, that was like the perfect person to point me the way. Sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, and another little lovely motif that stuck out for me as well, and it's because I, I utterly adore the song too, but I wondered if there was a reason for you. Um, autumn leaves. It seems mm. to be somewhat of a sort of, you know, theme within your within your career, or at least it's sort of like a go-to for auditions and for performances and stuff like that. Is there is there any particular reason that it's that? Because the, the words, it, it, I think because I sing it in French and English, and, yes. that, and yeah, yeah. Both, both versions are, are really great. Like the the original version in French is by a French poet Jacques Prévert. It's very yes. poetic. It's, it's fabulous to sing because it's so poetic, and yeah. you know the beautiful lyrics and and it's uh, and then the English version that. And and so it's nice to sing both of them, which is sort of fun to go from one to the other. And yeah. Then, uh, and there's also the melody. It's got a very nice music too. It's got a lovely melody. Mm. Very nice melody. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I love the song. It's beautiful. And so that, and because that was my audition piece at in Naples for that when I got that gig in the piano bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The. That that um, my boss Mario Di Porzio, he loved that song, and so he would always say to my song, you know. And so I would do his song yeah. for him. I love so his that, name. I, so I did it a lot. So it's, it's, often, it's often in the story. And yes, yeah, no, it is. Also, when I when I split up with this this young boyfriend, eight years younger than me, the one that got got me into trouble in the sense, Luciano, he he quoted the words in French of that song to me on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so I have mm. that in the story you know, no, at, the end of the, at the end of that song. Mm. I love it. It's sad <laughs> with, the, with the lovers, you know, part at the end. Yeah, yeah, of course. In the French. Gosh. Yeah. So you're like, obviously you were doing um, gigs and, and piano bars and things like that, but when was it that you started? Because you sort of began to build kind of almost, dare I say the word cabaret, like, you know, um, cabaret almost, like you sort of started yeah. to build kind of narratives and then begin begin doing solo shows and stuff where you sort of yeah. fused poetry, lyricism, music, everything all in one kind of like event show. <laughs> so when yeah, did that I, kind I of start? Sort of my own, because I hadn't. I suppose because I hadn't gone into music theatre, which probably, when I, in hindsight, I should have done. Um, mm. I, I wrote my own music theatre shows that I could do myself. Yeah. yeah. So one of them, the, the last one I just called Hey Piano Bar Lady and with an exclamation mark at the end. Hey Piano Bar Lady. <laughs> and and so it tells the story of my time in New York, done as a little cabaret music theatre show, you know, it's me yeah. sitting at the piano and singing and standing up and telling stories in between and, you know, the narrative yes. has a whole uh, has the whole story with an arc. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Mm. So what was it like to actually 
um, narrate your own audiobook? Because obviously we've just had um, your your audiobook has recently come out with Audiobooks NZ. Um, and obviously as well, the, the the print memoir, the print copy of the memoir as well. What was it like to to actually be in a small booth and you know I'm, you're very very used to microphones but this is quite a different version of delivery oh, right yes you... I'm, the, I'm not i'm not a professional uh book reader like you so it's actually quite hard for me <laughs> no but you also had your keyboard in there with you and this is what i love but everyone I this is what a, i love i did have the piano and i was able to just sing and play in between exactly. so that's just really my my thing so oh, it's awesome. I've listened yeah. to that occasionally, and so it, it helps the story to go go along. But you know, I've done a lot of acting, so my mm. acting was okay. It's just that I didn't know, you know, didn't know how to pace myself, and I sometimes I read too fast, sometimes maybe I read too slow, or whatever it was. And so I think when you're a professional, you you get used to it, don't you? And so you can kind of look at the whole page and think, "Anyway, I'll go." You know. Whereas I suppose I, so, but yeah. I think I mean I don't know. Like, but like particularly with, with with someone like yourself, Lynn. I think honestly, it would be a travesty if anybody else were to voice your memoir other than you. Let's be honest. <laughs> Come on, like you know, with the amount of experience that you've got, but also the fact that there is the singing involved. Like, I honestly, I've never listened to an audiobook where someone's actually um, bothered to put lyric into it. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I think will, it might, it might, there, be, the, it might will, be the first look. It was like the first, I was the first one to play electric keyboard. I might be the first one in the world to have done that. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. So um, obviously that, so like, obviously anybody that's listening to the book is going to be able to hear that that, that, that singing and and your delivery of it. But that yes, aspect won't necessarily. Usually from my original songs that fit into what I'm just been talking about. Because I've written songs yeah. about just about everything that you can think of in my life. Yeah. So there's always a song that I can choose. God, oh, just sing a little bit of that one to go with that story I've just told. Yeah. And occasionally sure. I'll, I will sing bits like you know the autumn leaves and things like that yeah. too that I'm talking about. Some song I'm talking about. That's not yeah, my, yeah, of course, that's not my song. Yeah. Usually they're my you know four lines of a song of mine. Yes. Yeah. Right. So. So. And so, that was kind of what I was going to ask. So, uh, are all of those lyrics in the actual print book? So for yeah, people so that aren't listening, yes, they're also in the print book as well. Cool. So awesome. yeah. um, sometimes with the print book, what I've done, I'm finding what I'm doing is instead of having like four lines of the song that I would sing, I will have maybe six. I'll have six lines, eight lines, because I yeah, think, sure. I figure with the because with the audio book, I was, didn't was wanted to be careful that I didn't. It's you know impinge on people's concentration on the story and then go oh no she's singing again no so we we try to keep them short and sweet but i think when you're reading when you're reading text and something comes up that's like a little poem or something you can choose either to read it you know focus on it or you might think oh go into the next paragraph and i'll you know and you might just glance at it so i thought okay I, i might give a little bit more of each song in the actual printed version because people can choose to read it or not whereas with yeah. you, when you're listening you have to listen to it that's it you yeah yeah about it. no of course i know exactly what you're talking about exactly what you mean yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i love it i love it um one more one more little question that i wanted to ask so we've um there are there is a cute sort of wee story about one of the first times i think that you appeared in our um our national paper the the herald <laughs> um did you have a did you have a, a a favorite appearance in particular that you've that that you've made in our in our humble newspaper by any chance oh gosh 
I think I've always been. I mean, you've been in heaps of our publications. Yeah, let's be honest, heaps, but you know, the Heralds are big in. Yeah, <laughs> the Herald. Well, of course, they made a big deal about my getting the scholarship as I was featured on doing that. You know, the big photo of me, and there was the other one, yeah. the other student <laughs> who had got done the same as me. So we like yeah. stories about us, but it wasn't on the main. It wasn't in the main section. Remember, the Herald used to have different sections. I suppose it was yes. the kind of like I don't know what it was, and also it was the big format as well, the huge format. I know, so I miss it. Probably, probably the, most, the most significant time I was in the Herald was on the front page. It was in my arrest in Naples, and that was how your mum found out. Hey, That's is that right? Found out, oh, I love that story. Oh. It's so full on. And then when I found out that I'd been on the front page, it was terrible for me. <laughs> My God, I, I can imagine. How 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 did you find out actually? The vice consul, the um, at the New Zealand uh, embassy in in Rome, she came to visit me when I when I was supposed to rested. So, you know, as she was bound to do as the representative of New Zealand there, and, mm. and she told me, and I was like, what? You know. Yeah, observable. She told me that that I've been on the front page of the yeah world, and of course, in those days, it was terribly shocking. And so, and I had the, and the time before that, I'd been in that paper, I was a lot more full of glory. You see, yeah, going over to France. So, so then, what was it like coming home? I mean, like how how many years actually after? I was that, seven. Did you... I was seven years altogether in Europe. After, yeah, right. I came home six months after I got out. Probably six mm-hmm. about six months. Yeah, yeah. And what was it like re-entering here, like in terms of career and in terms of all of that stuff, you know? Well, I... Coming back to little was, old NZ. I was, by that time, I sort of, I, I knew that I just would, you know, I just found an agent. I found, straight away, I found an agent that was Phil Warren. Yeah. He eventually Great. became the deputy mayor of Auckland, but he was an agent in those days. So I was wow. like, you know, I asked around, where's an agent? And I went to audition. I auditioned for him. I had plenty of chutzpah. I went to audition for him in his office and then he put me into the crypt, which was a little uh, <laughs> a club on Queen Street and uh, playing the piano there. And, you know, I went on from there. Wow. Then I just made the networks, networks started to happen. But I had my, yeah. I still had my fantastic London, London wardrobe, you see. So uh, wardrobe, when I did my audition for him, I was wearing a seersucker outfit, which was, Hot pants outfit and had a little top and it was brown and orange stripes. My mum sucker with a little short, my used to wear them. little shorts and some Mad. some orange, fantastic orange suede high heels. <laughs> oh, you must have the most incredible photographic archive ever. Yeah, I do. Oh, tell me that the print book. Tell me that the print book actually has some of these epic photos. No, please. it's probably not going to. You know, it's very very expensive to do colour. Yeah. Other photographs, and I thought, yeah, wow, I yeah. thought about it, and I thought, well, if I do put those in black and white, they're not going to be as, as, as effective. Uh, but if you look at if you look at my audio culture page, I have some interesting photos there. So I, I know there are some that. stunners. Yeah, you sitting on pianos and all kinds. Oh, yeah, so they're, they're in there anyway. And if I yeah. do, and if I write a part two, the part two, I'm going to have by then. I'll have more money to splash out. On Fair enough. In a year from now, whatever, I'll put all the color photos in there. Part two is going to oh. be is going to be like more random, random, yeah, random nice. events, random events in my career in New Zealand, playing, singing, and lots of different bands. And I'm not going to probably do it chrono- 
chronologically because it will be kind of boring because you know here it's like a big cv of what you've done yeah, yeah. Whereas the story no, I that, that i did the, this part one currently finishing in 1986 that is yeah. a whole epic story that goes you know right through with a good through line i know it's so, huge i it's mean a good through know, line and so yeah. that, i thought that was good to finish there when i come back to new zealand after all my adventures and escapades in yeah. Europe and new york and some, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, time spent in New Zealand too. But, yes, I thought there was a good place to finish there. Mm. And then I can write a second one, which is all the, what I did when I came home again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's so exciting. I love it. I can't wait. Um, well, so speaking of, now that you are home and have been for a wee while, um, Lynn is somewhat of a, per- well, you were a permanent fixture as a regular at 121, which is now no longer oh, around, yeah, eh? Isn't that so sad? It's one of the saddest, saddest oh, things such that such a beautiful institution, that place. Such yeah. a wonderful spot. Like, honestly, I remember going and reading at the open mic nights the, the um, spoken word poetry and all sorts. Like, you know, oh, it's it's such a shame but Chris Presley it was such a um such a such an epic dude for giving people space for that hey wasn't he it's just he kind of got yeah I have to say must say he got forced out of there he got forced out of everyone it's a very sad story but anyway not mine to tell but um in any case in any case it was for what 10 years or so what a great place with all that live music and when and then the poetry on Wednesday nights and then yeah. Thursday nights was the folk and blues and then Friday night was jazz and the Saturday yeah. was kind of rock and roll and, and blues and then Sunday Sunday afternoon was the open mic for young people lots of mm-hmm. things and then lots of stuff. Were, and then when there were bands just coming into town that Chris knew about they would play there had they have special nights it went on all those years. Mm. It was just, and people that were from overseas, that they would come in and they go, oh, I can't believe it. We don't have anything like this in Melbourne. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. That yeah, something live every night. This little, you know, on Ponsonby Road and this all, you walk in and it's all happening in there. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> a piano and there's all this. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, fun, some fun times. Some definitely, yeah, definite fun times. So where else can people see you perform now? I know we've got the last Tuesday of every month. You're at Epolito's Italian Restaurant. Oh, well done. You remembered. Good on you. From 6 till 8, I believe. That's right. right. So that's tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, actually. April. So Pizzeria, New York-style pizza, $5 a slice and $5 a drink on the music I love it. And that's near Ripe. On Fitchman Road. Point Chev RSA. Yeah, I'm doing that. I made the third. That's the following Tuesday. And that's I'll be doing my songs at the piano with with a band, which I call the K Road Quartet. We used to play at the Thirsty Dog on K Road. Another thing that that you know, I know, not happening anymore. But we did. We used to do a Thursday night there, so I was kind of reviving that for that night and doing the K Road Quartet, and you know, lot mostly my songs. So the jazz that's at the, and that's, that's at the, the Rasa, RSA. So that's the jazz. It's called the Jazz and Blues Club on a Tuesday night, and it's taken that's over cool. by the Auckland Jazz and Blues Club, and they run a concert there on a Tuesday night. So that starts at seven thirty, seven thirty to nine thirty, and that'll be with the quartet. And then Red. you know tomorrow night I'm doing the French and Italian at Ippolito's, but I'll be doing my own songs at the Point of RSA, and 
then the week after and the week after that, which I haven't sent out a newsletter for, Botticelli, which is on Anzac Avenue, which is a fabulous music venue, really happening place. Uh, um, and, and doing that with the French, you know, the French toast group. It's a tiny, oh, it's a tiny little bar, but, but jumping, a jumping bar. Mm. Um, is there is there one more as well with your other um, with your Jews brothers um, on May seventh at Ministry of Fun? I don't I don't know if that's happening or not. I have to get in touch with the guy, but okay. um, possibly on May the seventh. That's what we talked about. But that's coming up fast. So if we are going to do it, we'd have, we'd better move on it. We'd better move on. The year is just going. The year mm-hmm. is just going. <laughs> well, and on that on that very sort of futuristic note <laughs> i will i will let you get on with your anzac evening i will probably see you tomorrow because i'm i'm very very keen to come along and um and check out check out um epolitos and to check out your your music and your your friends and everything there um yeah. but other than that thank you so very much for your time we have this is our second attempt at this at this actually we have done this interview kind of but like quite different um but it, for oh, some reason we had that one was too but part two it was so different wasn't it it is, it is a totally different, different things. It's amazing. Completely different things. I know. I love we that. We can go on for hours, thing. Ryan and I. We can go for hours and hours. <laughs> we could indeed. Too ready. Oh, you said that one. That one. <laughs> It'll That's happen. This is you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time okay. and honestly you're, you're such a you're, you're such a gem and i can't wait to see you perform live and everybody get your hands on a copy of the paperback novel itself or the um, audio copy at audiobooks nz thanks very much for listening thanks a lot for joining us i'm romy hooper you've been listening to sound salad for all things spoken and all things heard to hear more Sound Salad episodes, go to www.soundsalad.co.nz. This has been brought to you by my gold sponsor, Audiobooks NZ. Check out their library at www.audiobooksnz.co.nz.